Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And today we begin our First and Second Thessalonians series with a special guest, our dear friend, Whitney Caps. Whitney is a Bible teacher. She is one of our favorite people to just read scripture with. She has an online community for women who want to just learn more about the Bible. It's called Simple Seminary. We'll link to it in the show notes. But we are going to just dive right in with Whitney. And this conversation blessed me immensely. We really hope it blesses you too. Let's get going. Whitney, happy Easter. Happy day after (laughs) Easter. This is so exciting to get to be with you guys on the day after he's risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Man, what a good day to turn the page and open this book in particular, Right? right? Yes, yeah. Because we want to live in the light of Resurrection Sunday and the glory that that brings. But for a lot of us... It resolves the biggest need of our heart, but we still live here where a lot of the other yeah. needs of our hearts are not resolved. And so yeah. I love that we're flipping the page and living in light of that, but going, it doesn't fix everything yeah. right away. Right away. Yeah. It's the most important. We talk about it being the most important event in human history. And we yes. also like take seriously when Jesus said it is finished, like the work is done. Yes. But in many ways, also, the work has just begun. It's time exactly to like, right. go and tell is the command. And Jesus says to our friend, Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. go and tell. I really do feel like yeah. she's my friend. Yeah. And so and that's do. exactly right. <laughs> and it's uh, yes. so sweet that it is Mary Magdalene that he says that to. And mm-hmm. here the three of us are reading and discussing and also getting to tell what it looks like for Christ's kingdom to come to bear on earth and to right. share the gospel, the good news that's right. that Jesus is alive. And like, yes. that's what we get to read right now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's exactly right. And this is a good book for that because he paints that picture of that now and not yet yes. very clearly because he's going to say over and over again while living in the midst of the persecution, that's very real, front and center for them, the affliction and the suffering, but always pointing to every chapter ending with but the day of the Lord is coming and the hope mm-hmm. of the finished work, right? Redemption is finished. Restoration is not. And so we live in that now and not yet. And what does that look like? He keeps tethering their heart to that hope of, but there is more yet to come. Yeah. There's more yet to come. And yeah. the invitation that we have to participate in that work, in the spreading of the good news of the gospel and the restoration, that we get invited to participate in that is, why? Why, Lord, would you use me? <laughs> Certainly. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Another thing, and we're going to get to all of this, but that like my call is not to participate in that is not my isolated solo. Here goes Amanda to do a big thing yeah. for the gospel call. We are inextricably linked to one another That's as right. the church and we need each other. Like I rely on you. You rely on me. This is a collective moving forward that we see in that fun fact about that, that our editorial director wrote in her editor's letter for this study book, that every time that the word you is used in first and second Thessalonians, it's the collective, it's plural. Y'all. It's y'all. 
<laughs> that spoke to my Southern heart. I read uh-huh. her letter and I was yeah. like, I love this. And I love any time we can colloquialize that bit and go, but yes, we understand what that means. And it's, it is true for this letter, but really for all of the epistolary comments on sanctification, this notion that we are to live and love and look more like Jesus almost never is a commandment for me by myself. That's right. Mm-hmm. Sanctification happens corporately and congregationally, which is why I think so many of us feel the fatigue of the last 18 months is because we, to some extent, have been forced to pursue life very isolated. And I think most of us would go, yeah, this is not healthy Mm -hmm. because it's not, it's a temporary norm, Mm -hmm. but it is not the ideal norm Mm -hmm. for the body of Christ. And it's not the way, it's not what we were created for. That's right. We were not created for that type of isolation. I love that even the context of the letter teaches us that because, you know, Paul has been imprisoned and he's thinking about his friends at the brand new baby church in Thessalonica. And there's so much language of like wanting to be there with them to encourage them, you know, and finally he just has to send. Timothy with this letter, but that's right. It was Timothy, right? Yeah, definitely. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And so he has to send Timothy with this letter and to encourage them because, you know, Paul is suffering for the gospel, but he, this is not his first time to suffer for the gospel. And so he's like sending word back to them and saying like, first of all, you know, you shouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of that kind of language. And secondly, like, keep going. I hear that you're clinging to the faith. Keep doing that. And then he tells us all of this stuff about, you know, that Jesus return and what is truly true, like in Mm -hmm. light of the resurrection, what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So Resurrection Sunday is a real thing that just happened. Jesus is alive. What does that mean for us? Yeah. So let's dive in. See, what does it mean for us? Yeah. So we start our first and second Thessalonians reading plan uniquely not in first and second Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. We're actually gonna mm-hmm. and we don't even read any of either of those books on day one. So we start in Acts, which makes sense because these New Testament books are all intertwined and they're telling the same story about the spread of the gospel. That great commission to take the good news to the ends of the earth, like beginning in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what's happening. That's right. And it's beautiful, too, because we can sometimes kind of, and I love this is our human impulse that you guys fight against at She Reads Truth, but the flip and dip approach. Well, let me just open my Bible, which is great, but let me just jump into first or second Thessalonians. And it's (laughs) anemic in a way that I think sometimes we don't mean for it to be. And Mm -hmm. God can do a lot with a little, but this context gives us so much insight into why Paul was zealous for these friends of his for this Mm -hmm. infant church and where the church was culturally seated. So all of that influences our reading of 1 Thessalonians. So this is worthy work. And sometimes we can want to be kind of microwave Bible study students, but it's good (laughs) to kind of crock pot and simmer. And this is the simmering that makes the meal so much better. 
I love all of your word pictures. Your I'm just, analogies are the I know. Best. We, we <laughs> love so sweet. Yes. We're like we're metaphor girls. Yes. So keep the keep those coming, Whitney. <laughs> so we do. So we do start in Acts chapter sixteen, and mm-hmm. then and it's just giving this framework for the work that Paul is doing and Silas is doing. There are. I don't want to spoil this because I want you all to read it because it is just such a joy. This is a really fun chapter mm-hmm. to read, uh, chapter sixteen, and we'll be in October. We're reading the book of Acts as a community. So we'll come back. I think to that, that was an announcement. Yeah, that's oh. great. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love, it. I love a good spoiler. Yes. Uh, so yeah, October we'll be reading the Book of Acts together, and we will talk about what happens in chapter sixteen, which is so exciting. But I do want to like, like we said, like kind of start in Acts chapter seventeen because this is the telling of the story. This is mm-hmm. the behind the scenes, the narration of right. of the letter that Paul writes. Whitney, will you read today's reading from Acts seventeen? So it's one through nine. I sure will. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. You guys, just as an aside, nobody's going to get bonus points for saying all their Greek correctly. <laughs> it's fine that you butcher it. It's okay. I think There's bonus no shame. points for trying. Listen. You get bonus points for trying. That's exactly right. Where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. I love that that detail is included. Mm -hmm. But then we see, verse 5, but the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house, Jason who had been the host for Paul. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, if you write or underline in your Bible, that's the sentence that you want to underline or write. Verse 8, the crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. And so this is what was happening in Thessalonica. This is the context in which this baby church is birthed. And so it would be naive of us to assume that this church in the place where Paul was literally run out of through a confetti parade when the mm-hmm. church was established right. in right. Thessalonica. Right. And so it's just good headspace yeah. for us to be in. Yeah, that's right. We get, Rachel, I'm looking at your study book next to my study book and we get gold stars. We both underlined that sentence. We did. It's true. It's we true. passed the Whitney test. I also noticed right before that sentence where it says, you know, they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees. They don't know what to do but bring a political charge, which reminds us of what? Of That's right. the trial of Jesus. Yeah. They don't know what else to do. They can't they bring don't know a spiritual charge do. against them. It's just like, let's make this political. The only people that will back us up 
would be Rome. Well, and I think it's important to remember that we are living in the height of the Pax Romana, which is the age of the peace of Rome. That's right. They have a desire to protect their imperialism, to make sure that Caesar is unrivaled as king. And everything about the gospel and the life of Jesus subverts that. Mm-hmm. And so their whole kind, like the kind of the party line was, if Rome is at peace, you, Roman citizen, will be at peace. Mm-hmm. And they tied human thriving to peace in the empire. And let me just say, anytime we attach human thriving to anything other than the kingdom of God, it will falter. But it makes sense that the principalities of this world would want us to keep our affections attached to the peace of this world. And so the fact that the gospel was untethering that, Mm -hmm. yes, these men who have turned the world upside down (laughs) have come here. It was shattering their foundation and understanding of how to maintain control and stability because flourishing was tied to political thriving and to socioeconomic thriving. And Jesus was going, no, no, it is my kingdom. And if it is his kingdom, then it means that he is king. And all of those things were utterly scandalous to what was happening in Pax Romana, the peace of the Roman Empire. And so this was not, I think for a lot of us, particularly American Christians, we have still lived in relative peace in terms of our message of the gospel. That was not true for the church at Thessalonica. They were not just allowed to kind of do their own thing and Mm -hmm. be ignored. Mm -hmm. That was not true. This was utterly threatening to the empire of Rome. This is why I'm so glad that we started in the book of Acts to really set the stage for these letters. And even just a little earlier in what you read, Whitney, in verse 2 of Acts 17, it says that on three Sabbath days, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. And I just like, my mind wanders because I think about Paul and what we know about Paul is that he was the expert Jew. Is that right? Like he he That's knew right. everything about the scriptures and used it to subvert Christianity. He was the chief guy who persecuted sinners based on the scriptures. And so this note here, this verse two is so significant that instead, now, in his new life, he's using the scriptures to reason with, not to judge them, not to make them feel silly, or not to like make them feel an emotional swell, but to reason and appeal to their minds. Um, That's exactly right. I think that's and we're beautiful. in Macedonia, right? And so where Greek philosophy is still, despite Roman imperialism, Greek philosophy is still kind of the philosophy of the day, which yeah. is what made Paul such a perfect missionary to these people groups, because I think he had great compassion for the fact that they were logical and reasonable, and he really met them where they were to reason that way. There is another detail in that verse that we don't want to kind of breeze past. My English lit teacher in high school used to say that Shakespeare is pregnant with meaning. Scripture is, in fact, pregnant with meaning, Mm -hmm. and we don't want to miss this detail. He was with them for only three Sabbaths, meaning three weeks. Yeah. So when we say this as a young church, when a lot of Paul's missionary journeys, he would stay in places 12, 14, 18 months, they had three weeks. And so I think it also communicates Paul's tenderness towards this true newborn of a mm -hmm. church and his desire to want to be with him. And I think his sense of their vulnerability to persecution and to idolatry and to idleness, all things that we see in First and Second Thessalonians are because they were babies. Yeah. And, and he's taking three um, weeks to get them from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. 
That's, that's not right. very much time. So you can imagine. Yeah. That, that's right. And so I think that's why you you hear his theological training in First and Second Thessalonians, but in a minute, just a verse over, he'll flip into that pastoral yeah. call that's yeah. right. because he wanted them to feel that both and of nurturing, but also training them up. And I love that he balances that here. Yeah, there's almost like some fatherly language, you know, that he uses where, you know, he's proud of them because, you know, for their faith and also like offering correction. Like one of the purposes of First Thessalonians is to offer some correction of like, okay, you're getting a little bit off track here. Let me, let me help. It really is. It reminds me you know, of a parent-child relationship. It's like, oh, I'm so proud. You still have a lot to learn. And like, just keep going. You know, it's very, and we'll see it in the reading. Like that speaks to this relationship we're talking about in the church, that um, this (laughs) y'all, that it (laughs) is, we need each other for that. That's right. That's right. The other thing that's important just about that detail is this is a baby church, Mm -hmm. But that does not absolve or protect them from intense persecution. And so Paul was aware of that. Mm -hmm. And he's going to speak into, listen, we told you this was coming. This should not surprise you. And so it is important for us to not think that that type of persecution is Mm -hmm. reserved only for the seasoned saints who've been walking with Jesus a long time. This message of the gospel of Jesus Christ flies in the face of everything the world teaches, and it invites persecution no matter how long we have walked with Jesus. And this young church at Thessalonica would for sure experience that. That's yeah. right. And so here we are on day two, if we're kind of traveling through this book, which I That's like right. to do when we do books of the Bible, especially. Mm-hmm. But in First Thessalonians 1, Whitney, I know you probably have this circled as well, that five words that you're going to see in every one of Paul's 11 letters. He says, grace to you and peace. Mm-hmm. And so usually he starts with a like who's writing or a greeting to the church. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he says, grace to you and peace. And it feels especially significant this Monday after Easter Sunday to see those words because those words are made possible by the resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. This grace is this undeserved favor, right? Mm -hmm. And then the peace is, he's not just saying like outward peace, like social order, but he's saying peace with your God that has Mm -hmm. only, can only be made possible by the death and resurrection of his son. And so this peace on this Monday after Easter feels Mm -hmm. really special and significant to see Paul say peace, because that's not made possible by us. That's made possible by the resurrection. Yeah. That's exactly right. And he's going to bring up one of the themes of First and Second Thessalonians is this day of the Lord and the coming wrath. Yeah. Well, the day of the Lord that is coming for everybody else was really resolved for us on Easter Sunday. Right. My day of the Lord happened at Calvary because I will not stand in judgment before God to judge my sin. My day of the Lord happened then. Mm. And so it is coming. But like you said, that peace and everything that he's going to charge that God's judgment, his righteous judgment on all those who persecute you, it is coming, it is coming, it is coming. But man, not for me. Mm-hmm. Not I won't <laughs> stand in that day of the Lord. He'll judge believers, but not his wrath poured out. It was poured out mm-hmm. on Jesus Christ. And I stand now having my day of the Lord been atoned for. I believe and that's the pace that we stand in. I believe that is true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is the posture that Paul is writing 
from. And I think just here at the beginning of this letter, let's just read kind of this greeting and introduction. Is that? Yeah, I think that's okay. Let's just keep going. We'll see how much time we have here. I'll see how much we can read. Yeah, sounds Um, great. Will you keep reading? Because I just love hearing you read the Bible. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, verse two. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. Just a couple of quick things from there. One, you want to circle the word imitators. He's going to use that word multiple times in this book. Again, that very paternal encouragement. Watch me live my life. Do as I did, even if briefly among you. But I also love verse three. There's this beauty in the way Paul is turning these phrases, this notion of faith, hope, and love here. But the way he puts these words together, this work produced by your faith, we sometimes think that those are opposites. This notion that labor and love are linked together and that endurance inspired by hope that those two things go hand in hand. He is bridging these tensions for a people who I think feel like they are living every day in unresolved tension, persecution, Mm -hmm. affliction. And so I love that he's linking words that maybe for us sometimes feel a little bit kind of cliche. I love the way he's kind of grabbing our attention with this phrase. Um, And then just real quickly, right there also in verse three, we see the second mention of the Lord Jesus Christ. In first and second Thessalonians, Paul will use either the phrase, the Lord Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ, 28 times, which is more than any other books in the New Testament. 28 times he will say he is Lord and the Christ. And so it's one of the themes that we see developed across First and Second Thessalonians. I love that. That's great. That verse three, I, it could be its own sermon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes. like the way those... You those... could park there. It's even three parts, like mm-hmm. like every good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. southern sermon yeah, three has point three sermon. points. That's exactly yeah. Your work produced exactly by faith, right. your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. The way that he writes to the Thessalonians inspires me to write that way or text yes. that way yes. or speak that way to the people that I love and I'm trying to encourage as well. I mean, when we yes. look at this letter, we are seeing that community matters and we're seeing that how we live matters, like what we're going to see coming out of, you know, he's going like, you watched how we lived among you, even like more above reproach than we needed to. And we also see that like what reminding each other what is true matters. Like That's right. he's just writing to remind each other what is true. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, like those three things, like I can walk away even just with that and go like, oh, he's right. Like I need, I need to live a community. I need to remind everyone <laughs> what is true mm-hmm. and I need to, and what, and how I live matters. That's right. And he's pointing them towards that because two of the themes of First and Second Thessalonians are these competing ideas of idleness and idolatry. Yeah. These are the eyes that he's going to circle back to over and over and over again. And I can at least feel great empathy 
for the church at Thessalonica because I think in the midst of persecution, in the midst of really hard circumstances, our temptation can be to just kind of turn inward and to just wait on Jesus's return. That produces that kind of idleness to go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to survive. And he's going to plead with them to, no, 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 we work while we wait. There is intentionality in this season while we anticipate the coming of the Lord. So he's going to pull them from idleness, but he's also going to talk about the other tendency of the human heart is to be drawn towards idolatry. Because as we're waiting, we can look for a reprieve in other ways. And we think when we read this, we go, oh, they were idol works. So we're thinking about Greek and Roman gods and that sort of thing. And we think it doesn't apply to us. But listen, I have the same idolatry in my life while I wait. If we think over the last, right, how many of us in March of last year, when we found out we were going to have all this free time, we're like, this is it. This is the season that everything changes for me spiritually, right? I'm going to get two hours in the Word every morning. That's right, right. And the fatigue of this season set in and we turned either to idleness or to idolatry, right? We filled our time we with looked those things. for other comforts. That's right. Mm-hmm. We promoted things that didn't deserve promotion. I heard idolatry, and I wish I could remember. It's not, it wasn't me, so I always want to say that, but I don't remember who it was. That an idol is whatever is the apex of our affection. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of us saw that and experienced that, that sense of while I'm waiting, yes, on the day of the Lord, but even just waiting for the next season, Mm -hmm. we can be tempted towards idleness and idolatry. And that's what he's going to talk about here. And so he's commending them practically what to do as they await the hope of the Lord Jesus. As I read this, I've read the CSB, I've read the message, I took a walk the other day and listened to both translate, like just really enjoyed digging into this. And like one of the questions that came up that I wasn't comfortable with, that I didn't like asking, and I always think like, okay, when I ask a question that doesn't make me comfortable, don't be afraid, dig in, right? And so one of the questions was like, I bet they didn't know that it wasn't going to be in their lifetime that Jesus would return. For sure. Like, I think that I just felt like a tenderness to them because he's, you know, talking about the return of the Lord as though it is imminent, which it is. But like, wait for the day of the Lord, wait for his return. You know, Christ is coming back. And I thought, I bet they didn't imagine that 2,000 years later, we'd still be waiting, waiting. right? Mm -hmm. And like, there was like a tenderness in my heart toward them. And I was like, would they have lived the same had they known that it wasn't tomorrow, you know, and then I asked the same question to myself. And I think it's interesting that you said, Whitney, like, that there is this call against idleness. And I think that there is God's grace in his tarrying. <laughs> his will is that none would be lost, right? And so, That's right. And so this thing of like, yeah, I'm I'm coming back, but don't just sit around waiting for me. That's right. Do the work of the Great Commission, of spreading right. what is true. And, and so we see this as not an inconvenient long time, but as an opportunity that none would be lost. That's right. To not and be I idle. think that's important. We sometimes think that the only texts in the New Testament that deal with the return of Jesus Christ happen in Revelation, and it's all that right. weird symbolism and imagery. But actually, the New Testament is littered with commentary on the return of Jesus. And yeah. I like to remind people often that if the timeline had mattered, we would have gotten more information. That's right. I think <laughs> what God is saying for every one of us mm-hmm. is 
we should all live with an urgency. Every generation was meant to live with an urgency of it could Mm -hmm. be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why none of us were given that piece of insight. It's why I don't think any of us will be able to go, oh, that's the Antichrist. That's the man of lawlessness. Because I think we're supposed to live with that urgency of what if it is? Right. Because our marching orders, they're not different. We're supposed to be alert and to live. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. It's not different. And I think every generation has lived with the certainty of the day of the Lord, and many have died and faced the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it still mattered that Christians be faithful to steward the gospel well. And then I'll just offer this as an encouragement. As you read Thessalonians, there are things that we don't know and understand. There are things that are concealed. It's important that we focus on what's revealed rather than what's concealed. But the question that I have to ask my heart when we start looking at some of these kind of prophetic messages is sometimes we want to figure out timelines because if we're honest, and this is not pretty and it's not something I'm proud to admit, but if I'm honest, I just wonder how long I can really play at Christianity before I have to get serious about Christ's return. Right? Like, do I have, yeah. do I have five more years right. or is he really coming back in four months? Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to go, why does it matter to me? Is it because I'm being idle mm-hmm. and I want to continue being idle? Is it because I like my idols and I want to continue mm-hmm. in my idolatry? And I'm wondering how long before. How long do I have? And I think, yeah, that's right. And I think we need to go, no, no, it's tomorrow. Act it as though tomorrow. it is, as that's though right. this very night your life will be demanded of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's also this kind of thread through this letter where we see, and even the supplemental passages that we've paired with this in the reading plan, where we see that this persecution that they're experiencing and the suffering actually. There's at one point the word embolden is used, but it actually motivates them mm-hmm. to right. keep going, not to sit right. idle. It is a motivation, which, you know, it is common. It's like when we're, when we're suffering or afflicted or waiting in long seasons of waiting, it is our human tendency to just want to, to shut down you know, and to wait it out. But if we keep the resurrection of Jesus in mind, if we keep yesterday, (laughs) you know, the resurrection um, and the victory of Jesus and the truth of the gospel, and that it does turn the world upside down, then that is a motivator because suddenly we have in view something that changes the way we view everything, even and especially the suffering that we endure. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Jesus suffered and because Jesus conquered death mm-hmm. and because we have this promise of life, not just when the day of the Lord comes, not just in glory, but life here. Like there is a life here that is given to us in Jesus. Building community and bringing life. That's what our friends at Apartment Life are doing these days. They partner with local apartment communities and move into the neighborhood to tangibly love people the way Jesus does. They're looking for coordinators to join their program right now. Do you think this might be for you? If you love people, have a heart for being with neighbors when life gets hard or exciting, and love planning a good party, this life-giving program is for you. Apartment Life will equip you and walk alongside you every step of the way, even down to providing a reduced rent apartment if you opt to live on-site in one of their communities. 
They also have an offsite version of the program that looks similar. It can truly be a life-changing experience for neighbors and coordinators alike. And just for you, our She Reads Truth listeners, they're giving you 10% off in their Apartment Life swag shop. Head over to apartmentlife.org slash shereadstruth to apply and to receive your discount. Be sure to ask for more information about how you can be a part of this unique ministry. That's apartmentlife.org slash shereadstruth. Okay, back to the show. I love this passage in First Peter. Yeah. First Peter four, twelve through fourteen. We'll read this in our day two reading. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So he's literally telling us that in Christ— our suffering and our persecution is actually cause for rejoicing because it is connecting us with Jesus. I mean, no one, no one suffered more than Jesus. You know, we all suffer differently, but he, Jesus entered into our suffering. This is kingdom talk. Like this is for him not to say, Hey, you might have fiery trials. Keep your head down, like get through it. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He says, instead, rejoice. Mm -hmm. Not like you'll get through it, not endure it, but like rejoice in it. That is totally counter-cultural, counter like our nature. Mm -hmm. That is against Mm -hmm. anything that, I mean, think Job's friends would never have said, hey, rejoice. Uh, That's not what they said, in fact. And so to like see this, it's everything changes. Everything Mm -hmm. is different because of the hope. That's exactly right. And the beauty of linking day two and day three that y'all done here is we've got this notion of affliction is coming and this is, this is the call and this we rejoice in. But this is how we live in light of that persecution that we're going to live in a manner worthy of the joy to be with Christ, Mm -hmm. to share in his sufferings. A couple of weeks ago, my son came home and one of his spelling words was to persevere to persevere. And he kept saying, preserve, preserve. Mm -hmm. He memorized how, and I was like, buddy, it's not preserve. The word is persevere. But I think sometimes for us, when we are dealing with affliction, we reverse them too. Oh yeah. The call is to persevere, which is to thrive, to be poured out this walk in a manner worthy of the call. And we turn persevere into preserve. I need to preserve myself. I need to preserve my family. I need to preserve my energy. I need to kind of turn inward. As you said, just keep our head down. We're going to be okay. And the call is to persevere, which is active. It is poured out. It is that walk in a manner worthy, as he says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It is an out front not just an internal rejoicing, but living in a way that actually invites the very persecution that we're living under to stay true to that call. And he goes on to talk about this all here, the suffering, the work, the sanctification, the persecution, Mm -hmm. the affliction, all of that is the stuff of worthy walking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Paul models that 
at the beginning of chapter two, for you Mm -hmm. yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God Mm -hmm. to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Mm And then he uses that phrase in verse four that we love to be entrusted with the gospel. Like Mm -hmm. we've been entrusted with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so while it is true for us individually, and it does give us Mm -hmm. hope as individual humans who have a relationship, a personal relationship with our Savior, it does not free us to just sit in that and Mm -hmm. keep that to ourselves. We've been entrusted with the gospel, and so we are to be emboldened and and carrying that forward. There are a lot of times where the phrase, the word of the Lord or the word of God is used frequently in this this short letter. And back in chapter 1, where Paul is talking to them and he says, the word of the Lord, this is verse 8, for the word of the Lord rang out from you. And I love that because I think that is part of this call, right? That yeah. we, it's why this conversation is important. Yeah. That to be in community, to read God's word, to talk about it with other believers, because when we take it in and sit in it and simmer in it, it can ring out from us. So it can't ring out from us if we don't read it and know it, mm-hmm. you know, but if That's we right. can read it and know it and let it change us. Yeah then it can ring out from you. And you picture just like a bell, you know, like a school bell. Mm -hmm. You hear that Mm -hmm. bell ringing. It's to get everyone's attention and like, come here, something's about to happen, right? It's lunchtime or whatever. If it's ringing out from us, that is not a passive circumstance. Like that's not a passive thing. Yes. That is an active thing. Which is, it's so beautiful the way day three flows us into day four. Because at the end of day three, we have Hebrews 4.12, which says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then on day four, we get these words in chapter two, verse 13. Paul says, this is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, (laughs) which also works effectively in you who believe. That is so encouraging and and convicting, but like just to know, I mean, I don't know how many times after read read it and hear it and know that it's true to Mm -hmm. really remember that it's true. You know, that God's word is living and active and it is effective Mm -hmm. on its own. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On its own. It takes some pressure off of us. It does. We have the spirit, we have his word, and we just get to be the vessels. It's also really humbling. Yeah. It's very humbling. Because it sure is. It's not about me. Yeah being great at whatever it is I'm doing. You know, it's not about that. It's often in spite of whatever we're doing. (laughs) More often than we'd like to admit, right? That's exactly right. I will say one of the things that I think Paul does beautifully here over the next several chapters is really unpacking for us just what you're describing, which is this complicated tension of sanctification, which he's going to draw their attention to, he says in that next verse, become imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also severed the same things from people of your 
your own country. And he goes on to talk about that the persecution, I think, is happening individually for them, but the solace and the sanctification happens congregationally in the church. Like, this is the place where we, I mean, is it true that they could have been persecuted as a church for sure, but more likely what was happening is that they were facing individual persecution. And then they would gather together for the balm of their souls. Community was the place where they found solace and comfort to survive what was happening out there. And they come together to be encouraged. And in that encouraging through the word of God, they're sanctified Mm -hmm. then to go back out and live out the work that Christ is doing in their hearts. And that sanctification is that both and. It is God's part and it is my part. And I like to say often that sanctification is doing my part in his power. Because it's not that we do nothing, right? And Paul's gonna get there. We do do stuff. But as you were saying, it's not on my shoulders. It's not my job to do. It's my part, Mm -hmm. but it's in His power. Mm -hmm. I have a response, but not the responsibility. That's been done in Jesus. So now I respond Mm -hmm. to what He's done. And so they're now that walking in a manner worthy. They're to go out and do that among everybody else. But yet they get to come here together to find solace and to be encouraged and to find comfort together as a community of Christ followers to welcome the work of the Word. It almost feels like these like inhale and exhale of lungs, like yes. to come in and remind each other of what is true and then to go out and to speak what is true, mm. but to come back in. And like it's so good. that rhythm of living in Christian community feels like lungs breathing in and out. That's right. Mm. That's right. And I think I would argue that's probably why so many of us feel out of breath, right? Yeah. For this marathon of 2020 and 2021, because listen, I'm so grateful. If we had to live through a pandemic, man, I'm glad it was in the era of Zoom. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's been helpful, but it's not the same as hearing our brothers and sisters sing in the same room, right? It's not Mm -hmm. the same as looking in the eyeballs of somebody and weeping with them or praying over them or comforting them or helping them load their kid in the car. All of those things, as you said, are that inhaling of the sweetness of the Spirit that lets us then go back out and do that worthy, worthy work. Yeah. I mean, that was just this morning. Yeah. (laughs) Just right now that we all three just experienced. So like, you're like carrying a thing. I was carrying a thing and I was doing fine carrying it by myself because no one was looking me in the eye about it. And then as soon as I sit here and look at you and Rachel and Rachel prays before we begin, it's just like, oh, that's when the softness of heart Mm -hmm. comes. Mm -hmm. And that's how, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. the Lord uses Mm -hmm. us in one another's life. Like Jesus is not physically here in his person right now, but you are Whitney and you are mm-hmm. Rachel and Annie who's behind our computer screen. Like we, mm-hmm. we are physically together. Well, you're on zoom, but mm-hmm. I can look in your eyes right now. And I am grateful for that. Yes. Yeah. Um, it is so necessary and needed. And we just weren't created. I mean, from the garden of Eden, that need was, acknowledged and established, yeah. you know, that we need people. That's and exactly I think right. it's important like that even our listeners know that we don't sit here three women who just, it's everything's great. You know what I mean? We don't sit here no. and turn on the mics and we're like, well, everything's going great for all of us. You know, everything is decidedly mm-hmm. not that great. Everything is tough. <laughs> we're in fact, you know, there we're so grateful for so much, including we're rejoicing instead. Yeah. But That's it right. is truly a rejoice instead in a lot of ways. And so yeah. as we come and like today, as we open the book of First Thessalonians together, it is from the place of needing the resurrection and needing Christ and rejoice instead. Yeah. 
I hope that's clear. I just, I really pray that that's clear to those who hear these episodes that like, that this is not us expounding on things that we know and like Mm -hmm. speaking from all this. I mean, I do believe that the Lord teaches us and gives us wisdom, but we also, first and foremost, we sit from a place of needing these conversations with each other personally and needing God's word Mm -hmm. that this isn't like a, Oh, we've rehearsed. We know all the things that we're going to say, like, no, this is like real time interacting with each other and God's word Mm -hmm. and that it's Mm -hmm. so needed. I mean, this, this is a balm to me right now as we speak. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a buoy. A balm yeah. and a buoy. Yeah, sure. Shubies. That's right. Both of, <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. And just to be reminded that every time we turn on a microphone or we post on social media or whatever the case might be, that there's so many things in Scripture that preach easy but live hard. Yeah. It doesn't make them less true. But we that's can right. say, I may not be feeling this today. But it is still true. That's and right, so yeah. I need the truth, even if it is not currently transforming my present circumstances. I mean, I'm just a little yeah. inside baseball. Literally eight minutes before you guys called, I got a phone call from my doctor, and I am woefully anemic. There's something going on. I'm bleeding internally somewhere. My hemoglobin's at a six, and oh I'm going to need a blood transfusion maybe by tomorrow. These are things that you can. I'm not asking for you to be impressed with me. This is why opening First Thessalonians matters is to go, no, 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 we don't preserve because the tendency is to think I need to go lay down and I need to clear the deck and I need to be, and there's a season for that for sure. But there is also a sense in which, no, I'm gonna persevere Mm. through this. I'm gonna persevere through this knowing that he is able because of the good word Mm. of First Thessalonians. Doesn't live easy, preaches yeah. easy, lives real hard. <laughs> yeah. But it is true. It is so true to live in the light of suffering. And that's the work produced by faith. It's the labor motivated by love, and it's the endurance inspired by hope yeah. in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what that's that is. It. I love that it's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, like that's we talk right. a lot about right. hope as if it is our savior. That ethereal hope somewhere in the atmosphere is I have hope. Right. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. our hope We have is, capital H hope. That's right. It's always right. and forever a person. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. Jesus. He has a name. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We're actually doing great cuz here we are. We made it to day 5. Which, we're on pace. I know. We're doing great. We really struggled uh Whitney when we were reading through Mark because Mark is so like Fast paced. We were like, how are we? He's gonna- the machine gun yeah. gospel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is exactly what it felt like. I called it a fire hose, but yes, it is. Machine like, gun is kind of great. Like two yeah. verses for it's the temptation in the wilderness. And you're like, I know. I yeah. don't know. And he how was to- like, that's all you need to know. We got to keep going. Yeah. That's it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> we it's have a lot the, to cover. I, I have questions. For, he, he's the Twitter of the gospel, oh, you know, I like where that you're like, there's so much. That created more questions than it answered, Mark. And he was like, I'm sorry, we don't have time for that. You're just going to have to keep going. Um, So it feels very much that way. So yes, I can understand. Oh, that's so good. So to be on pace right now. We're on day five. Yay, us. Yes, we did it. Okay. Day five is, um, we're going to have just the tail end of chapter two and then also chapter three. There's some really interesting, I have some big questions about a few things in in chapter two, and it kind of harkens back to what we read in Acts, which, you know, on day one, and especially in chapter 16, and I don't even expect us to cover this, but just some of the like mystery of the gospel and also the reality of the spiritual realm. 
Yes. But listen yes. to this in First Thessalonians 2. But as for us, brothers and sisters, this is verse 17. After we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart. Oh, that little mm. aside, isn't that I mean, so listen. relational? We greatly desired and made every effort to return to see you face to face. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Mm-hmm. But it reminds me in Acts 16 where they're very in tune with like the Holy Spirit is very much in control of their itinerary. Oh, yes. You know, it's like, well, we were going to go here and then oh, the yeah. Spirit told us not to, so we didn't. And well, we had a had dream a, of a guy saying like, come and preach the gospel to me in Macedonia. And yeah, so we so woke up went. and went. It just acts, you guys. I know. It's going to well, be great. Also, it's very convicting to me because yeah. it's... Mm-hmm. You know, it's really easy. Um, we have no less of the Spirit today. To, right. And mm-hmm. like, it's not okay to just write off the Holy Spirit as like woo-woo gospel. No, like that is actually the third person of the Trinity, Yeah, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. We, anyway, so I these little asides just blow my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he is, he is present and he is active. And I think the degree to which we embrace his voice, his presence, his activity, his shouting— I think is also the degree to which we do not ignore the attacks of the enemy. And so I think sometimes when we diminish our awareness of the spirit, our helper, we also forget that there is an enemy too. And I think as both of those increase, I don't think we are fearful, but I think we have a keener sense of this is spirit-led, this is opposition. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we have a lack of clarity about what opposition is, and it's less about not knowing opposition and that we aren't attuned to the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's interesting that we see both of those at work in Acts and both of those at work here. And so it is good for us that the Holy Spirit doesn't just attune us to his activity, but I think protects us by helping us spot the activity of the enemies mm. of the gospel in that spiritual realm. And those go hand in hand, yeah. not fearfully, but to go, oh no, I see that. And I know what that's about. And there's a certain confidence in that awareness of being able to see it for what it is. And I think growing with the Holy Spirit gives us that confidence to not be afraid, yeah. but also not to be confused or enticed. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. funny. I think that I have in the past overcompensated for, in, in terms of my relationship with the enemy, right? Like, you know, to the point where I'm like, okay, not today, Satan. I'm not wearing a shirt that says that. I'm not putting the enemy's name on my on my chest today, like, or I'm not putting that on my mug, even though like the spirit of that is silly and good. But like, to me, like, I I rarely speak his name. Like, I've just overcompensated Mm -hmm. to the point where I, I don't want to give him credit. You know, I don't want to give him acknowledgement. But you're right, Whitney, in that we do have an enemy. We have a foe. We have someone who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And when we sort of numb ourselves to that reality, I think that there's an overcompensation there. I think that it's actually important to be aware of our enemy Mm -hmm. and to battle against him and to know that the battle isn't flesh and blood, but it is Mm -hmm. spiritual. And so just in the same way that we like maybe diminish the enemy, do we also diminish the work of the spirit? And I think that you're right that those go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem is we're never going to be devoid of an enemy. And I would argue what we see happening in subculture today is because we have not made the real enemy the real enemy. And so he's allowed us to believe that one another are the enemies. There's never not an enemy. 
There's yeah. no void of that. And yeah. he's perfectly satisfied for us to see one another as the enemy, as long sure. as it's not him. Yeah. And so an awareness of the Holy Spirit and an awareness of what is happening in the principalities of mm-hmm. this world mm-hmm. make us also go, oh, but you're not my enemy. Those who right. live in darkness are not my enemies. Those who disagree with me are not my enemy. And so it is good for us to not be ignorant of these things, brethren, yes. so that we name the right enemy. That's yes. Right. Because yes. even if we can refuse to name him and we can refuse to acknowledge him, but that doesn't make him any less real or any less that's present right. or yeah. any less on yeah. the attack. Yeah. Voracious. Um, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So here, speaking of that, when we get just at the end of this week's reading, we get a few verses, five verses in chapter three. And I think that this is this is a good place for us to land. Would you read those for us, Whitney? I'm especially looking there at, you know, three through five. But that's Yeah, I'd love yeah. to. But don't miss the echo of Joshua in verse two. Oh yeah, go ahead. Why don't we just yes. the whole one. thing? The whole yes. thing. Start yeah. on one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. I just, I love how much he loves them. Mm -hmm. This love for him is very protective. And he's also making them aware of the sin, this kind of prowling lion that's looking around to devour them, this tempter and his desire to say, I just, I couldn't stand it anymore. Man, do we love our brothers and sisters like that? Do we love the church that way to think, oh, I I just can't stand the thought that you might live in wrong theology. Oh, I can't stand the thought that you might be deceived. I can't stand the thought that you might listen to something that isn't for your flourishing because you've been deceived. And it grieves us in a way that it grieved Paul. And that's not unique just to the Thessalonians. Like, no. I mean, Timothy right here, he calls him a brother here and God's coworker, but in other books, he calls him his son in the faith. Like this tenderness that he feels toward the people that he had the opportunity either to lead to Christ or um, to disciple in Christ, it is across the board um, in a way that is just, I mean, we think so often of Paul as just like, I don't know, maybe even aggressive, just like he's just very go, 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 go. Um, He's an acquired taste sometimes. There we go, yes, (laughs) because a different go, go, go than Mark, right? Yeah, Um, yes, yes. But his tenderness toward the Word of God, toward the Spirit, and toward the brethren and sisterin, Mm -hmm. whatever you call Mm -hmm. them. (laughs) That's right, that's right. Uh, Well, he's speaking as a life that has been changed. Yeah. And and he knows Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. even as a life changed, that there are temptations. Yeah. And he cares about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like to think of 
Paul is kind of, he's a surgeon of sorts, you know, in some ways kind of Peter's sort of the butcher. And Paul is kind of the surgeon when you look at the work that he's doing in Romans. I mean, he cares for these kind of details. His passion is not merely motivated by kind of intellectual honesty towards the gospel, but the life transformation that it produces. Right thinking leads to right living. And Paul is desperate for them to live rightly in light of right truth. And so he's very protective in terms of of all of that. And I love to see that side of Paul here for sure. Yeah, yeah. We're at the end of the week and know, at the end of feels, the episode, which it is, feels almost like like hitting a wall right. to just stop right there yeah. in Thessalonians. But we're going to pick it up next week. We're going to finish First Thessalonians next week, and, and then we'll have a week in second. And in First Thessalonians, we're going to get to talk about next week sanctification a little bit more. We're going to get to talk about the day of the Lord. What does Paul tell us? Like, what are the promises? Of what will it be like yes. in the second coming, right? So that next week is going to be... Great. But before we mm-hmm. go to that, Whitney, we have a tradition here at the She Reads Truth Podcast. As you know, we like to take an hour to open God's Word and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we have found mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing that with us today. You are just so fun to read Scripture with. Minute. Yes. Oh, you guys. Y'all, I just can't even tell you what a joy it is to get to talk with you every time I get to come. So we love it. it's a delight. It's a delight for sure. And now... We want to look at you, our friend Whitney, and ask, like, where in your life, where in your day-to-day are you seeing beauty, goodness, and or truth that is pointing you to Jesus? Well, that's really kind. I have been spending a lot of time in Revelation over about the last six months for a study that I'm working on. And one of the things that I love about Revelation is, um, despite all that's real messy and real cloudy, there's a lot that's really clear. And Revelation is a book of counterfeits. And so we don't have to know a lot about who the Antichrist is. He's simply a counterfeit of Jesus. And we don't have to know a whole lot about the woman, but she's a counterfeit of the church. And so it's just a book full of counterfeits. And so in looking for that, I've been very attuned to spotting the counterfeits that are trying to distract me from the purity of the gospel. And so there's been, I think the power of Revelation is when you look at Revelation and view life with a Revelation lens it really clarifies what we're actually looking at. I think it was Scott Duvall, who I think y'all have had on the podcast before. He says, Revelation is the virtual reality goggles for what's actually happening. It's what we were talking Uh, about, right? That you can see, you can see what's actually happening here. And so coming out of a year where I felt like maybe I was a little bit victimized by all of that, living in Revelation for the last six or eight months, I feel like, okay, no, there's more at work here and being able to see it yeah. makes me feel oddly comforted to go, no, he's mm. he's got this. And mm-hmm. if I'll just call the thing the thing mm-hmm. and yeah. trust that his sovereign care has got this, then there's a lot, I don't have it figured out and I'm for yeah. sure not in control of it, but I'm comforted that there's more going on here than just what I see And he's got all of that. And so that's bringing me a lot of comfort and encouragement today. Oh, I love that. Even like you said, that the response is yours, but the responsibility is his. I love that. That's exactly right. Oh, well, listen, friends listening, we will be back next week with our friend Jonathan Pitts and the following week with Jess Connolly. And we will unpack the last two weeks of First and Second Thessalonians. But until next week, dear Whitney, what do we tell our friends? 
keep opening your Bibles.